You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting. This is episode four. My name is Josh. Today's episode is titled A Professional Portable Podcasting Setup by Busting the Bank. So in the previous episode, we did a professional portable setup without busting the bank. Today, we're just going to go crazy. And part of this is gear that I've used and I worked my way up to that I know is pretty much the best stuff that I've found for in-person face-to-face interviews. And some of it's just wish list stuff that I can't currently afford and or I've got an approximate piece of equipment that is almost as good and probably won't actually end up replacing. So that's what we're going for today. Stuff that's either an improvement upon things that I've tried or equipment that I'm currently trying after 10 years of podcasting and probably... 150 to 200 face-to-face interactions with people and recording audio. So if you have a topic for the show or you just want to ask a question at DeadsetPod on Twitter and Instagram or check out at Joshua C. Liston on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, let's get on with the show. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. Welcome back. So I'm really been looking forward to doing this episode. Number one, let's talk microphones. In the Without Busting the Bank episode, I think I mentioned the SM58, which I still 100% endorse. But as we're doing a Buy Busting the Bank today, I'm just going to go with what I think is the best all-round face-to-face interview microphone and that is the Sennheiser MD46. I won't go into all the specifications being an audio podcast, the frequency response, all of that stuff you can actually more easily see on the internet but let me tell you why after years of trying different mics including some that are much lauded in the podcasting space, the ATR2100, the AT2005, the Samsung Q2U, I've decided the Sennheiser MD46 is not just superior in sound quality to some of those or all of those microphones, it's simply better for the application in pretty much every way, which is interviewing someone face-to-face. So sound quality, it's obviously a consideration, but to me it's not the absolute most important consideration when choosing a mic to interview people with. Here's my, I guess, scale, and I'll talk about how the Sennheiser fits in. Number one, resistance to hand-holding and vibration noise. Not everyone you talk to is going to be comfortable with a mic stand. The environment may, may not allow for a mic stand. Uneven ground if you're outside at a campground or a million other variations of a place where you can't set a mic stand up. Or if you do you force your guest into some awkward position or having to stay in an uncomfortable part of the seat. Maybe they have to sit really forward to be able to be on mic. People may be, depending on their background, more used to or more comfortable with the idea of actually holding the microphone in their hand. And if they look up to comedians or speakers or they're used to seeing people on the television, sports people or whatever... They may be holding a microphone regularly, so the people you're interviewing may think that's what I'm meant to do with this thing anyway. I've just got to hold it in front of my face. 
anyone who's not trained in microphone technique will elicit a lot of hand-holding noise, whether they like it or not. So a baseline of sound quality is important, but all great high-quality dynamic microphones particularly have a certain range of sound that they reproduce and a certain quality. So number one to me is if you're forced into or the guest would prefer to hold the microphone, how resistant is that microphone to the moving around? Are you going to hear all that noise getting picked up through the microphone itself? And normally it's due to a lack of isolation between the body of the microphone and the actual capsule of the microphone that's picking up the sound. The Sennheisers do it as well or better than any other microphone in that price range for hand holding. And part of the secret of the MD46 is the fact that it has an extended hand piece or the shaft of the microphone, for the lack of a better term, is longer than a standard dynamic handheld mic. So what that means is the balance of the mic in your user's hand feels more natural and they can hold it lower even against their body if they want to hold their forearm against their body and the mic has enough reach to get into the sweet spot in front of their mouth. So you're not forced to ask them to keep moving their hand around to get the mic back into the field in front of their mouth where you get the optimal pickup of their voice versus background noise. That's a crucial thing because particularly with the ATR2100, which I'm less and less impressed with over time as I hear more and more stories about how they're blowing up on people. The reason I gave up on them was I had two die in the first 12 months because the USBs are just garbage. A great sounding studio microphone, if it never moves, but I don't think it's anywhere near as great as people say. The problem I was having was the mic had literally no resistance to hand-holding noise at all, not like an SM58 or the Sennheiser that we're talking about today, that every time I was forced to ask a guest to move the mic back in front of their mouth or closer to their mouth, I'd have this big rush of hand-holding noise. Not good enough. So the Sennheiser wins out over probably a dozen other handheld mics that I've tried over the years, and I continue to use those. And they also sound bloody fantastic on a microphone stand. Some people sound better on the Sennheiser MD46 than any other mic that I own. I've even had people on the RE20 that I'm talking into right now that still sound better on the MD46. You don't have to worry about the sound not being great. It's really pretty fantastic. So that's number one, resistance to hand-holding noise. Number two, durability. The mic is incredibly well made. And when you're talking to people that have no experience with microphones, there's really no telling what they're going to be doing over the course of a longer form interview if they're getting distracted or they just don't really keep... They're not paying attention, I guess. For example, a lot of people will start to slowly drop the microphone over the course of an interview if they're hand-holding and rest the XLR cable on their leg or maybe on their abdomen, forcing basically a lot of pressure onto that XLR port on both the cable, like the plug, and also the port on the microphone. And I've seen this probably half a dozen times in the last couple of months with guests that I have on my show Punching Sideways, where the microphone has enough length that it doesn't really affect the sound enough as it's dropping down and it's a very tight pickup pattern that it's harder to realise really what's happening 
than with a normal mic because if you drop the mic down you would actually start to hear a massive drop off in sound that's not as big an issue with the sennheiser because of the design but occasionally i'll look over and the cable will be almost at right angles from the actual plug and forcing a lot of pressure onto the actual plug on the microphone i've had three of these mics for probably over two years now not one issue even with a crackle in the actual plug the plugs are super durable and the actual design the cage i've had them dropped twice once a hand holding kind of fumble after the interview when it went to get it handed back to me it kind of slipped out of their hand and crashed onto the floor and the other drop was actually got knocked off a mic stand because the stand basically just collapsed which we'll talk about later i took a bit of a rubbish stand for my third microphone and yeah, over the course of an hour, it just decided it wanted to let go. And then it crashed basically into itself first into the, the actual bottom part of the stand microphone first, and then it fell over sideways. So it really got two bits of damage, but not a scratch and not one problem with the, the actual plug on the microphone. That's not something that I can say about other mics, except for the SM58. I wouldn't trust that they could handle fumbles and drops and being knocked over and packed and unpacked continuously and having plugs plugged in and out over a long period of time without having any problems. And the, th- the last thing is a focused, nice sound with a nice air frequency. So there's detail to the sound, which is really good if you've got a few people that have similar sounding voices that you can kind of lift them up out of the mud a little bit maybe of their own voice and I have a muddy voice so I'm the worst culprit for this a nice clear microphone can help just make it more listenable over time because there's more detail in those upper frequencies of the sound but what you don't want is a microphone that is hyper sibilant which I have an even bigger issue with that's I've got two major faults a muddy low mid-range and a very sibilant voice the Sennheiser was the first mic that I found that had a really effective focused pattern, pickup pattern. I think it might be super cardioid from memory. So it picked up plenty of the voice, but it was resilient to a lot of the sibilance issues that I'd had on other similar microphones with a similar sound profile. And to me, it may have been a mixture of the EQ curve on the mic the design of the microphone or the design of the cage that goes over the end of the microphone, so over the actual diaphragm. Maybe all those things help with eliminating some sibilance. And other than my own voice, I've had it on several quite sibilant female voices and it's really dealt with that sibilance in an amazing way that other mics that I've had in the past simply didn't. Some of them, including the Heil PR40, actually accentuated and made those frequencies even more harsh and unlistenable. When your own guests are picking up the fact that their S's sound harsh in their own headphones, in real time as you're recording, that's not all that pleasant a thing to have to explain on the fly. It's highly technical. It makes them doubt themselves a little bit. These are issues I haven't had with the Sennheiser. And I'm not going to say it's not a sibilant microphone because it is slightly more sibilant than, say, an SM. 7B or the RE20 that I'm speaking into now. There is more sibilance in that microphone, and I've found 
in the past that Sennheiser mics are slightly more sibilant than Shaw's, just in my own experience. So particularly the MD-421, I think I used that in a radio studio in Melbourne, and that's still probably the most sibilant microphone I've had on my voice other than the Heil PR40. Okay, so they're the mics. How much are they? For 1080 Australian dollars, I'm going to go with four Sennheiser MD-46s. So four microphones for $1,080. So we need something to go on the microphones, which is number two. I'm going to go with four Shure A58WS windscreens, which will come in around $15 each, so $60. These are still the best small windscreens that I've found. They've got a nice thick piece of foam. They don't chip away or get broken down. When you t- by taking them on and off, they just don't fall apart like the cheap ones do, where you've got little chip holes in them and the edges stretch out from being taken on and off the mic. To be honest, a lot of the cheap windscreens are just spit covers. That's about all they're doing. They're not actually really stopping many plosives at all. They even handle a little bit of a Glen 20 once in a while, which I do. When I'm interviewing people, I always spray Glen 20 on everything because it's not fair. If people have bugs or whatever, to carry those on to the next person that I happen to be interviewing. And it's just what I like to do. And it hasn't, as yet, broken down an A58WS. So what are they going into? What are we sending these to? This is the number one piece of equipment that I wished I owned. And I have the previous generation of this. But this new one is just... What I wished the version that I had was, in retrospect. It's the Sound Devices Mix Pre 6 version 2 for $1,650. It's a digital audio recorder. And it's basically the Mix Pre 6 that I really love, and I'll talk about why. But just even better, and of even higher potential recording quality. It's just amazing, this thing, when you look at the specs. But what I'm going to talk about is the actual sound devices Mix Pre 6, which I've used probably 50 or 60 times now for in-person interviews. And let's just, every time I talk about a feature, just think in your own mind that that's what the feature is on the first version. The version 2 is going to be that, but most likely, other than maybe some of the external casing build quality, it's going to be even better. It's not going to be any worse in any respect. The number one thing that I like, it hasn't let me down even for one second of audio when it comes to the quality of the recording and the consistency of the recording and being glitch free. The Mix Pre 6 is the best sounding single device I've ever recorded raw voice audio into. There's a musicality to the sound that I haven't managed to get it through interfaces, through other recorders. I don't know what it is. I can't describe it. But when I listen back to the audio that I get out of the, the Series 1 Mix Pre 6, it sounds like that person did when they're sitting in front of me, just better. <laughs> it's like the purified version of that person's voice because of the microphone. But it's just not colouring the sound in any way other than a musical way to me. And I know that's a really nebulous term and it probably means nothing to you. But there's 
something about the Zoom recorders and other recorders that even if they're specced at the same level, I listen back to the audio that I've recorded into those devices and I think I just don't hear on the recording how that person's voice, the microphone and the preamp was reacting into my headphones. It seems like something is different there and it's just a little less like I'm listening to what that person really sounded like when we had the conversation. And that might be just my my ears being fussy from having edited so much audio, spending so much on the Mix Pre 6, maybe I'm just deluded. I mean, everyone wants the super expensive thing they bought to sound better than everything else because you've got to justify it to yourself psychologically. So there probably is a bit of that. But I just hear more detail, more human to me when I listen to it. It sounds more like what they did on that particular microphone on that day. That's the first thing. Consistency of sound quality just and not having any glitches. Whether that's metering issues where the meter's telling you one thing but you listen back to the audio and it's peaking out like what happened on my Zoom H5 a few times. Sounds that are getting printed to the actual recording that you didn't hear in real time. I've heard a couple of big podcasts that I know use some of the Zoom stuff which has come a long way. But they've got this like almost ground loopy sort of noise, like a broken cable or a cable sitting on a power cable. or I don't know what the sound is. But there's no way that shows at that level that have a producer in the room would have just let the recordings go if they could hear that in their headphones. They wouldn't have recorded that if they had have known it was happening. Surely they would have sorted it out. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But to me, those were sounds that the device itself, for whatever reason was creating inside of itself after the monitored sound had gone back out to the person and was getting added to, even though it's not additive to the quality, but printed also to the original sound recording, and you don't know that until later. So it's almost like a corruption. Not once out of all of the stuff I've done with the Mix Pre, which I think I've had it for two years now, not once has that happened to me. And all I can assume is that the Mix Pre 6 will be just as reliable, but better. It is a 32-bit unit, or up to 32-bit, whereas the version that I have was up to 24-bit from memory. So the potential for the quality of audio you can record is higher in the Series 2. Here's the other reasons why I really like the unit. I've dropped it. It did nothing. I had a guest half knock it off a bench in a town called Wangaratta, which is about an hour away from here. And the reason he did that was because he went to pick it up and we were sitting outside on a patio and it was a very hot day and we were in the shade, but the recorder, how we had to set it up, started off in the shade. And then over the course of the morning, I think we recorded for nearly two hours, it ended up sitting in the sun for most of the last hour. So he went to pick it up. It was a little bit hot. He went to put it back down. It was sitting on top of a book. And he kind of misjudged where he put it and it slipped off there and then half fell off and then hit him on the foot <laughs> and then bounced onto the ground. Not only was it able to take what would have been pretty extreme heat, it would, I think it was low 30 degrees Celsius and the device is black so it was absorbing a lot of heat. That didn't affect any of the recorded sound but it didn't even have a scratch on it and the way the casing is built is that all of the potential parts that can strike the ground or an object are 
very hard and very well designed for impact. There's nothing on the device that's really all that exposed to a direct impact, which I think is great. Because I'll tell you one thing about the Zoom H5. It didn't matter how you dropped that thing or bumped it. You were hitting something other than the knobs on the top that were protected by a little bar. You were always hitting something that could potentially damage the unit. That's not the case on the Mixpre. And when you're out and about, this is the sort of stuff you have to think about. What if the guest stands up and walks off with the microphone thinking things are over, but not realizing it's going to pull the recorder completely off the table? Stuff like that. It does happen. I was interviewing a guest recently, a really funny local comedian, and his dog, a really big but friendly dog, came in, got up on half onto his lap, turned around, so the microphone cord had kind of been looped around his neck, and then he walked off and pulled the mic straight out of my guest's hand, and we were using short mic leads, because there's no point rolling out 30-foot mic leads in a small one-on-one interview. The recorder started slipping across the desk. So I actually unplugged. I grabbed it. He grabbed the dog. And we managed to stop the recorder sliding off the desk. But I know that there's a good chance that that wouldn't have done anything to the mix pre if it had fallen off the desk. So you can assume that the, the Series 2 is going to be as well or even better engineered when it comes to extreme environments and being used outside. though. But remember, this is by busting the bank, so this is my dream piece of equipment for everything. So we're going to move on to headphones. This is the one I was most unsure about. And everyone's got a feeling about headphones. My favourite, the MD, whatever these things are, Sony MDR7506s, they're my favourite sounding headphones by a fair margin. Everything else... Sounds muddy, dark, and like I'm not getting enough, I don't know, of myself in there. Which is probably a bad thing, because it means that these Sonys probably have some kind of mid-boost or high-end kick to give it that clarity, so I'm probably not hearing what it really sounds like. But they're not built for being packed, unpacked, and travelling, and having people that aren't familiar with how to use gear, playing with them, and fiddling with them, and pulling on the cable, and all that sort of stuff that guests do that aren't audio people. Just the cable itself being a looped Jimi Hendrix guitar lead type cable and not being replaceable so that it's basically built straight into the headphone unlike many other brands makes buying four pairs of these a little bit silly they're just not built for it the build quality is not as robust as some of the headphones it's purely that I love the sound of these that I've bought another pair So the Sony MDRs were just not an option for travelling, being unpacked, repacked, and just the strange stuff that can happen in a live environment, particularly if you're at a music festival or a public place or moving around or whatever. They're just not built for it. I wanted to keep this to brands that people were familiar with and not just throw out some strange thing that maybe not everyone has access to throughout Australasia and the broader world. So I wanted to keep it to within well-known headphone brands and brands that people may be trading off already in their own mind because otherwise the list of headphones is so big I'd never be able to cover it. I've used bunches in the past. These are the ones that I would probably go with now. Four pairs of Audio-Technica ATH 
M50Xs. I've got the M40Xs. They don't sound as good to me as the Sony MDRs. They're much better made in terms of robustness. They have a replaceable cable. And I do believe they sound quite a bit better than the AKG K72s, I think they are, which is the other pair I have for guests. I bought a couple of different pairs just to experiment. Okay, that one's not great for longevity. That one is, so I'll rebuy those if I need to in the future. So I didn't buy all one brand in case they were all junk. The the AKGs sound good, just not overall to me as comfortable or quite as nice as what the ATH M40Xs do. Because we're trying to bust the bank, I thought I'm going to take the M40X that I've been happy with. The guests can hear themselves. I've had them now for, I think, uh, 12 months, that pair. I haven't had any dropouts in either ear. People don't have any issues with things cutting in and out. The cables seem to be good. They've got replaceable cables, as I said. I'm just going to go up to the 50s, which, and this is going to sound silly, they just look the coolest out of all the options. And if they sound as good or even a little bit better than the 40s, they're as durable. And they come in a wide range of colours that are easily accessible. So if you have one or two people that you travel with, let's say, as I hit the microphone, maybe a co-host and someone else, you could have a blue pair for one person, a red pair for the next person, and maybe the traditional black pair or two of those for guests. So four pairs of those, 720 Australian dollars. They're just going to be, to me, a safe bet. You can get them everywhere throughout Australasia that I googled the other day, and they're not prohibitively expensive, and they do have some replaceable parts, including the cable. Like these Sonys, if the cable dies... I'm not sure whether it'd be worth getting anyone to look at them. It'd just be cost prohibitive to get them fixed, which is not an issue with the Audio-Technica. Next is the cables. I know this is all probably... This isn't in direct signal chain order, obviously. I just went through this in levels of excitement, really. (laughs) So, big thing, small thing, big thing, smaller thing. I just went with four Mogami Studio 15-foot cables. 10-foot cables, I've found in my experience, quite often are a little bit too short. You don't want to be so close to someone that they feel like you're in their space. But you also don't really want to run way, way more cable than you need to because you're just increasing the amount of distance that the sound has to travel from the microphone to get to the recorder. 15 feet versus a 20 or 30-foot cable. That's just extra stuff that you're going to have to coil up or keep track of that no one trips over on it. Or if there's people moving around, it's extra stuff that they could get something caught on. It's just not really appropriate to go up to those huge lengths because of how much extra mess and how untidy it can look as much as anything. If you're going to someone's house or their place of business or a local sporting ground or whatever, having piles and piles of cable everywhere can just look like a mess. And I just think that keeping things clean without short-circuiting the usefulness, is the goal with cabling. And I think 15 foot is the sweet spot. Because you'd be surprised if you're running even across a small room and there's a table there and you've got the recorder maybe over closer to yourself, you've got the length of the table, quite often it has to go down off the table, maybe along the floor a little bit, and then back up a mic stand and then maybe back up a mic arm. If you're using a traditional music-type mic stand, which you may be, You might find a 10-foot cable 
gets chewed up by those kinds of little runs a lot quicker than you expect it to. Whereas a 15 foot I've found is the best length of cable for most situations. $360 for four of those. Mogami Studio Gold 15 foot cables or anything of that quality that's a 15 foot. Number six, this is the quickest one. Just buy two better quality 32 gig SD cards. I think in the, without busting the bank, we might have budgeted one $20 SD card from memory maybe or two. I'd try to get two 32 gigs on a special or on discount for around $60. Just something that's a little bit better than the entry level SD card. And lastly for today, and one of the main things and probably the thing that's going to annoy you the most, as I think I mentioned in the last episode, do not skimp on this because I've done it too many times to count. And I always think to myself, why didn't I just spend real money on that stupid mic stand? So four heavy duty mic stands. And when I say heavy duty, I don't mean something that can hold a massive amount of weight. Although normally by implication, that would be the case anyway with a better quality mic stand. I'm talking about mic stands with strong tubing, a really stable profile as far as the the legs and how it actually sits on the ground. You don't want something that needs to spread over a massive distance and take up a whole heap of space, the footprint so to speak, just to be stable enough to hold a mic up. You want something that's engineered well enough that within the space that a normal microphone stand takes up, you're getting more stability from that mic stand. You want better screws, nuts, bolts, a better mic clip, some better counterweighting in the arm, whether that's by design or a place that you can actually hang a small counterweight. And I guess the number one thing for me, just get a mic stand that doesn't drop down on your guest and start falling away from them over time. And if you start to see it happen, there's a good chance you've just not spent enough on the mic stand. And you're trying to do a job that it's just not made to do, which is it can't support a microphone on that horizontal plane. Because most microphone stands are made to be vertical and then some level of angle, not completely horizontal. Unless you're talking about miking a drum kit with overheads. And I can't actually say that I've seen anyone try to do an overhead miking of a drum kit with a microphone as big and heavy as a Sennheiser MD46. They're by no means a heavy microphone. They're a handheld mic. But most of the time with overhead, so you're doing cymbals traditionally, when, where you've got a microphone on a horizontal plane, so the actual arm is stuck out horizontal from the top of the stand, they're usually uh, little pencil condensers, or you might, if you're in a rock and roll club, they might be something else slightly more durable, like a just a naked SM57 so it doesn't actually have a shock mount on it of any kind and or any kind of windscreen but nothing the size of an MD46 so don't cut corners on the mic stand it's the one thing you're going to get most annoyed about trust me I'm speaking from experience here so I'm just going to budget a hundred dollars hundred Australian dollars per mic stand so four of those and I wouldn't, although I do have a couple of them, buy small kick drum stands with a really heavy bass. Like those are probably preferable if you're going to do studio work where you know there's definitely going to be a table available 
but you just don't know if that's going to be the case. And even if someone has a table, I would still suggest using a high-quality floor stand with an arm because those things are heavy. They generally have a metal base. And if the person has a bare table, you don't want to be responsible for maybe, you know, nudging one of those things and scratching their table or, you know, dropping it off the table onto the floor and dinting the floor or, you know, whatever can happen. They're very heavy and that just makes it more annoying to have to transport. If anything, they're more annoying to travel with because you can't really pack them unless you take them completely apart. Then you've got four really heavy plates that you have to find a way to, you know, they can't just go in a bag. You would need a case, really, to be able to carry those effectively if you were going to pack them down every time or take them apart. Because the base is just a solid piece of metal. That doesn't fold or compress or, you know, anything, really. It's just what it is. It's a plate. Right, I've, I've ranted enough today. I'm starting to lose my train of thought. My voice is starting to go. This is the weird thing. I've changed jobs recently and I'm talking all the time to people, customers, and I didn't realise how just out of practice my conversational voice was <laughs> when in my previous work life I wasn't talking to people any more often than I really wanted to. Yeah, so it's both fun, this new role, but it's also taking a toll on my voice if I have to work four or five days straight. So, And I did a bit of travelling and that also can affect you. So we might talk about that in the future. What do you do when your voice just is letting you down but you have to get something done? You have to do an interview or you have to, you know, you might not be sick, so you can't say, hey, I'm sick to someone, because that's not the truth. You just Your voice is a little bit less pristine, maybe, than what it should be or could be. I don't really think that's a good enough excuse to not do an interview, so or to not release your podcast if you're doing a solo show or whatever. Okay, I've just got a recommendation for the week. I've really been enjoying this show called Pivot. I think it's from the Vox Podcasting Network, which I've never enjoyed a show from before. I actually really don't like them when I generally listen to them. I don't know what it is. There's something about it that doesn't appeal to me, but that show is just so great and I'm happy I found it. So check that out if you're looking for something interesting to listen to and you you don't need to be into tech, which I'm not massively into the tech industry. The glorification of those people I think is a little over the top, but this is a show that it's just funnier than other tech shows. It's actually probably really a comedy satire amusement-based product, entertainment, and it's just got some really intelligent people on there, so the subject matters at a bit higher level, maybe than your average comedy conversational show. It's pretty awesome. Okay, Joshua C. Liston at gmail.com to email the show. And yeah, in the next episode, we are talking about, as I move the paper aside, I was going to record... (laughs) Here's the truth. I was going to record this episode that I'm about to tell you about today, but this has gone for now... 33 minutes longer-ish on the raw recording than I expected it to. I was thinking it might be a 10-minute episode. It's now up to nearly 45 of raw audio. So this is going to end up probably at least three times longer than I thought it would. The next episode, I think it's going to be slightly more for people that are trying to community build in podcasting around an interest or a a passion or a a cause or even just an an industry if you're into like a business or whatever. The lessons learned from founding the Australian Podcasters Group on Facebook. So yeah, if you didn't know and you are a member of that group and you're listening today, I actually started that group. I haven't been an admin for probably two years though, which is one of the things we'll talk about. 
the person who admins the group when it's small may not be the right person or the best person to admin the group when it becomes a lot bigger, which was the case. And the guys are doing a fantastic job of adminning that group. Much better than what I would have given my personality. So, yeah, that's what the next episode's going to be. But I won't be recording that today. I might just go lay down for a bit. Okay. Thank you. Josh Liston here at Dead Set Pod. And yeah, happy podcasting. <laughs>